Today we're going to talk a little bit about building a financial foundation. I have an email address up here. If you guys want to write any, you can write that down. And if you have any specific questions to your needs, just, just give me a, an email and, and just let me know that it's from this conference in the subject line so I know because I get a lot of junk. Um, I'm a certified financial planner. I've been practicing in Colorado for 20 years now. And I have about 150 clients that I work with. And uh, I absolutely love what I do. It's, I love just getting to the nitty-gritty of the finances and helping people get organized. That's one of, um, I guess, one of my gifts is administration. And organi- organization is, is what I love to do, is just have things kind of dialed in. And um, so that's kind of what we're going to go through today. I'm not going to drill down into any specifics of investments or anything like that. That's usually more pertaining to your own situation. So this will be more of just high-level stuff, but it's, it'll give you some good ideas, hopefully. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to look at values, then goals, some financial steps to go through to become financially free, some ideas on banking and budgeting, debt, savings, Social Security, and then wealth transition and protection. First thing I usually do with clients is just have them give me some ideas about your personal values. And when I ask that question to people, it's, it's oftentimes it's tough for somebody to say, oh, these are my values. This is what I value. So here's a list of some values you guys can take a look at. And, and you can Google it, just personal values, and, and come up with some ideas. But these are, these are things to help people hone in on to, um, you know, what, what is it that they're after in life? And... Being in the, the mission field, it's probably going to be different from a lot of people that are out there just in the secular world just trudging along, So, which is wonderful. But identifying about seven or eight of these, circle them, whatever you need to do. And then once you get to that seven or eight list, then identify about three or four that really strike home with you. And this may be individual basis or it might be more on a family basis. So what strikes you? And then ask yourself why. And write, those, write these things down so you have a, a, a record of kind of where you are with these things. So that's the first thing I like to do. And the reason is, is it helps you identify the next step we're going to cover, which is goals. And so what I like to do is I like to start with the, the longest term out here, which is retirement. A lot of younger people here. And let me just get a quick sentence, census here. How many people are married? Okay. And how many have children? Okay. And how many over 50? Okay. Um, so t- starting with retirement, some people may be a little bit closer to that, but that's kind of a scary word for a lot of people is retirement. I don't, it's too far away. I don't know what I'm doing here. How do you look that far out and, and understand where you may be? People think of retirement as... Oh, I'm going to take it easy. I'm going to travel more. I'm going to hang out with the grandchildren. I'm going to buy a second home, whatever it may be. When I'm dealing with clients and finances, what I like to talk about retirement is a time when you will be drawing off of the money that you've set aside in savings. And you may not stop working, but you may supplement your income. Maybe you slow down. And a lot of people will look at Social Security as being part of that income. So you need a microphone or you okay? This records. This records. Oh, gotcha. Okay. That again is where where I look at retirement is is a place where you're going to draw off of your savings. So it's not necessarily just chilling. It could be depend on the stage of life that you're in. Long term. Uh, then is the next is the near term, two to five years, or sorry, ten to twenty years. And the 10 to 20 year time frame is, that's where you, again, we're setting goals here, writing these things down. And that 10 to 20 year time frame may be something like, um, I want to be completely debt free, house paid off. Maybe it's even, um, you know, have my kids through college by that time or have them off of training wheels or whatever it may be. Um, and then near term, two to five years, you're starting to take this wide focus of retirement, 10 to 20, and then two to five. And we're starting to get a little narrowed down on our, on our focus on what we want to do here. Two to five year, again, maybe I want to be debt-free on everything but my house, or I want to buy a car or save for this item or that. And then down into the three months to a year, this is 
really saying, okay, I'm going to get down on the paper, and these are my goals. I'm going to be focused with my finances, the income and the outflow, to accomplish those specific goals in that time frame. So to start out with, there is, um, let's see there, um, yeah. So start out with here, working on your debt is is a situation that a lot of people today are kind of running into as I'm excessive on my debt. met with a couple of clients last week, and they just think, oh, you know, hey, life's great. We're trudging along. We have kids. We have a house. We have jobs. Everything's great. And then when we uncover where they are in debt, $30,000 in credit card debt, I was like, oh, okay, well, that's something needs to be done about it. But they think that that monthly payment that they're paying to their credit card is just part of their budget, as we probably all do. But the idea is to get rid of that. And how do you do that is first to identify your sources. Take your piece of paper and write down what the institution is that you have that debt with, the, account, the balance that you have on that account, your interest rate, and your minimum payment. Okay? Then you're going to identify what you have in terms of the income. What do I have available to go towards debt? Now, you may have, you may be one of those people that is income comes in, expenses go out, and it's basically the same amount. You don't have any extra. Where am I going to come up with extra? Well, there's two variables to that equation, right? Income has to go up or expenses have to go down. Basically, (laughs) the best would be both, raise income and lower expenses. If you can't do it, you're just stuck on that minimum payment plan, and you're going to be there for a very long time. So the idea is to get focused on this stuff and say, I'm going to kill that debt. So paying down that debt is, is um, so after you identify the amount you have towards to put towards that debt, this, if you Google debt reduction calculator here, there's a, a website, it's Vertex42, and if you're used to Excel spreadsheets, this is a wonderful spreadsheet here. And um, you can plug in all that information from above, your sources and, and your income, and then it will spit out for you how to pay that debt down. And you can see very quickly the most efficient way to attack that debt. So I think it's a, it's a wonderful tool. Um, the, the financial steps to start, once you kind of get that idea, the focus. Remember, we worked on our values, goals, and now identifying our sources of debt and our income. And we've kind of worked through that a little bit here. These are the final financial steps to take to kind of head towards that financial freedom. Assuming that you have debt, this is where you start at number one. If you don't have any debt, you would start at number three here and build a, build a larger um, emergency fund. So establishing the emergency fund on step one is basically saying, get me $1,000 in a savings account, pay minimum payments on all your other debts until you get to $1,000 in that savings account. Once that's there, then you can work on um, the next step, which is, Everything but the house. You're going to pay off, start going after that debt, like we talked about previous slide. Um, The the thing about the emergency fund, that is meant to prevent you from having to go to another credit card and attack that again. Okay, so if you if you have a habit of okay, I need new tires, or uh, I got a crown I need to replace, and you start going to credit card, this is what the emergency fund is for, is to prevent you from loading that card back up again. Then we're going to build three to six months of expenses. And this is kind of a variable. Three to six months is a wide range, but it kind of depends on your flow of income. Um, If if you live off of support, that may be a different situation because you know that steady income is going to come there. So maybe you can cut it down to maybe three months. But if you're in a situation where, gosh, you know, we're in volatile times and people are cutting back, then maybe you bump that up to six months. Thanks, Julie. Um, And... So that, that monthly, that's three to six months of, of monthly expenses is, is for, um, if you have specific expenses that are, have to happen. So there, you don't want to include in this three to six months expenses such as gym memberships or your restaurants or things like that. Okay? Um, the next is after you're debt free, we're going to attack 15% of your income that's going to be socked away towards retirement. Then college funding. People, a lot of times, they get this, these two reversed. They start saving for their kids before they save for themselves. I've seen some horrible situations where clients will come to me and they've got a second mortgage on their house to put the kids through college, which is wonderful. The kid's coming out of school debt-free. I mean, that, that is an amazing thing. 
But then the parents get in trouble, and by the time the kids are out of school, the parents are pushing 50 years old or so, and they're up a creek saying, okay, well, when's retirement? Remember, retirement is not chilling back doing nothing. Retirement is when I'm going to draw, but you're going to have less to draw on. So what if you have to retire early? What if there's some reason job situation changes where you can't work and you need that savings? Those are the things to think about. Uh, So 15%, then then college funding, and then we're going to pay off, go after paying off the house. Most people own a house. Some people don't. If you guys are in in the mission field, you may not have a, a, a place that you would call this is my home. So you don't have to worry about that step. But if you do own a home, the, the reason I talk about this coincide with retirement means that um, if you have a house, a lot of people are getting houses later and bigger houses. Instead of downsizing when they get older, they go to upsize and they get their house of their dream. And maybe they're at 50 years old and they're buying that, that big house and they have a big mortgage and then they get a 30-year mortgage. Now, if you're paying the minimum payments on that, you're done when you're 80. Okay, well, what kind of retirement is that? You're, you're paying a large monthly expense all the way to age 80 can be quite burdensome. So coinciding with retirement is saying, okay, well, I would like to be debt-free and be done with my house payment maybe when I'm 68. So I'm 50 now. I call up the bank and I say, hey, by the time I'm January of the year that I'm, I'm 68, what additional principal do I need to put away now to become get this house paid off. And they'll tell you, and you just add that to your payment. Does anybody write a check for their payment, or is anybody, everybody does everything online now, right? So it's an easy process to do. My wife, uh, she, she, uh, her, her debit card got compromised, and so we had, she had to go write checks, and she's looking for checks, and she's going to the grocery store. She didn't even know what she was doing. She's like, how do you fill this thing out anymore? Everything's swiping, right? Final step is to max out the retirement. Okay? We'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, all right. Banking and budget. First thing is, again, remember high-level stuff. Sorry, I'm not getting too deep here for you. But the first thing is to work on overdraft protection. Everybody should have some kind of protection. If you use a debit card that swipes right out of your checking account, you want to have something that's protected there. Call your bank and make sure that you have that emergency fund, that $1,000. That's set up to link to your checking account. And if they don't do it or if they charge you a fee, regardless, you have money sitting in the bank in your emergency fund. You overdraft on your checking account. It's still sitting there. Why should they charge you a fee to go after it? If they do, you're at the wrong bank. Okay, so you can see what you can do about that. The next is um, the multiple savings account, and I call that forced savings so an idea that I like to use, and, and this is um, most banks allow you to use many savings accounts. I have 14 savings accounts, and they are, they are, each of them are titled specifically for certain things. So I have a household account, a vacation account, automobile, um, gifts, and whatever. You can list out whatever ones you want in there. A certain day of the month, I have so much money transferred into there. Here's an example, Christmas account. Let's say I want to spend $600 on Christmas this year. So in January, I'll set up $50 transfer to that savings account each year. By December, I have $600 in there, and there's my budget. So I've kind of forced myself to build in that budget. Now, for me, I use that, that um, all those different accounts, are my, that's my emergency fund. So I don't have a big emergency fund and then all these other accounts. All that together, that's my emergency fund. So if there's an emergency, Christmas it doesn't happen, and you know you just kind of deal with it, right? Next is debit cards. The only thing I really want to say about the debit cards is be careful. Don't let that card leave your hand and go somewhere else. You can swipe it someplace locally at the at the grocery store or whatever. But if you're at a restaurant and you give the card and the, the waitress or waiter walks off with it, who knows they're not going to take a picture of it? It's much harder to get that you know, that re- any recourse from the bank than it is on a credit card. So, again, don't let that leave your hands. If you call in, you're placing an order on something over the phone, you never know. So just, that, again, safety. Credit cards, um, this gets a lot of people in trouble. So being very careful about this, um, you don't need to have a lot of them. If you do, it just, what's the reason to have a lot of them? Is so you can spend more money. And this... 
you wouldn't believe some of the stories that come in. And it's like, are you kidding me? Wow. And, and of course, I don't say that. But, um, yeah. So credit cards, um, that's a, a good, safe way to use things. Because, again, everything's online today. So if you're buying something from Amazon or whatever, you, you have to do this, right? PayPal, some, say, some cases work out fine. But that's, that's a good one. So um, just make sure that you're paying off that monthly budget once you get out of debt. You pay off that, that, that monthly, monthly balance every month. Don't get yourself into trouble with that. If you have an issue with that, you can always use the envelope system. And this is an example of, of let's say you have trouble going out to lunch every day and spending, you know, 8 to 10 bucks at Chipotle, right? Well, give yourself an envelope with 50 bucks in it. If you reach that 50 bucks in day four, oh, well, you're done for the month. That's, that's a forced way of budgeting there. Um, Two programs that are pretty awesome is Quicken and Mint. Does anybody use Mint? Good, good. Um, that's a pretty cool program, isn't it? It's, it does a great job. You can set up a budget. You can feed in all of your accounts to that, and um, then it'll kind of tell you your spending. What you want to look at is you want to be telling what your spending is going to by setting up a budget versus looking at it and saying, hey, this is how I spent my money. You find yourself in a lot of trouble that way, so make sure you work through the steps correctly there. So when we, after you get all debt-free and we're covered with that, the next, the next step is going to be savings for retirement. There are um, a few different types and ways that you can save. These are the main retirement type of accounts that people use. You have the IRA and the Roth, the two main ones. Does everybody know what the difference is there? Okay, briefly. Okay, um, it it's really comes down to when you're taxed on the money. So here's an example. You make $50,000, and you want to put away $5,000 into each of these accounts. The IRA, you put five, $50,000, you put $5,000 into your IRA, you're taxed on forty-five. what's left over. In a Roth, you put fifty in, you're taxed on fifty. Okay, well, that kind of stinks. Why do I want to do that one? Well, the, the, the key to this is later on. You're, you've been putting in five for years, and it's growing, and the market's doing fine. It's growing, growing, and it builds to $400,000 by the time you're retired. So now when you go to draw money out of there, in an IRA, you pay tax on that draw as ordinary income, as if you earned it. So it could be a higher tax rate. Okay? With a Roth, it's tax-free. It comes back to you. You're done. You've already paid the taxes up front. So all that growth and everything, it's a wonderful situation to be in. The limits on the IRA is $5,500 per year, per person, as long as you make that much money. And, and it needs to be earned income, not passive income, meaning rental property that you have or something like that. And um, if you are over 50, you can add another 1000 to that, so it's $6,500. That's both IRA and the Roth. Another issue with the IRA is when you're 70 and a half, you're forced to draw money. And the reason being is, remember, that's tax-deferred money. That 400 is sitting there and hasn't been taxed yet. And the government wants to dip their hands into that, that pot, right? So at 70 and a half, they project your life expectancy. And so each year, you have an increasing percentage of that balance that you have to take out each year. It's called a required minimum distribution. The next are the company plans. You have a 401k and a 403b, two main types of plans. Um, and then you have a simple plan and a SEP. The simple is a cheaper version of a 401k or a 403b. 403B is for nonprofits, and a 401K is a, is a corporate plan. Um, the SEP is for a sole proprietor, have, have your own business, and you don't have any employees. And so the contribution limits on a 401K is $18,000 and $6,000 more if you are over 50. Same with the 403B. A simple is 12500 limit, an additional $5,000 for contribution catch-up, they call that. And SEP is 53000 that you can put away. Um, the benefits of a 401k and, and 403b, these are huge. Um, I, I run a couple of 401k plans for some businesses, and I meet with those employees, and again, crazy situations. But um, having the company match is amazing. If you Let's say, for example, there's a dollar-for-dollar dollar match on this 401k. You put in 3% of your income, and the company matches you 3% of your income. That's a 100% return on your money. That, that's guaranteed. You can put into a money market where it's, it's not going to do anything in the market, but you still get a 100% return. So to, where else can you get that guarantee? 
Now, some 401ks, most of them now in 403bs, they offer a Roth option on there as well. So you could put money into this account in a Roth. And remember, the limits on a 401k and a 403b are $18,000 if you're under 50, which is way better than what you can in the Roth outside of it, which is 5500 So awesome way to get more money built in there. Company match is always going to be pre-tax. So you have two buckets growing differently. One of them, pre-tax, going to be taxed later. The other one, no taxes. So that's kind of nice to have. You can kind of help in retirement. Uh, the, the buckets of money you want to draw from to keep your taxes down. The taxable account, all this is, is it's basically a glorified savings account that allows you to invest in the market. And there's no limit on that. So if you have you know, inherited from your rich uncle and he gives you $10 million, you could dump it into there. And then you're going to be paying tax as on the investments that you have on there according to the earnings that they have off of that account. So it's 1099 income is what they call that. And so if there's interest or dividends, you get a, uh, an account statement at the end of the year that shows your 1099 interest from your savings account, right? Today it's probably 2 bucks for the year. Um, but um, that is how you're taxed on that money currently. So and there's also gains on the investments or losses that you can deal with there. The main types of investment options are stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and exchange-traded funds. And most people are aware of how all these work. Um, they can get a little complicated as you jump into some of the lower three, the bonds, mutual funds, and ETFs. Um, bonds are debt from an institution. So if it's a, let's say Coca-Cola wants to um, build a new building, then they'll issue debt and saying, hey, we're gonna, we're, we need to build this uh, billion-dollar building, and we're going to offer it up to the public to have a share of that. So they'll, you know, I could write a check and say, I'm going to $10,000 of that share of that thing, and they may pay me an interest rate of 5%. And um, I get my 5% per year, and they'll have that out to maybe a 10-year time frame. At the end of the 10 years, they give me my money back if they're still alive. The riskier you get in those bonds, the higher the yield, the higher the percentage of income that you can receive off of that. So if you buy a company that maybe is an exploration kind of company where you don't know if they're going to be there next year, that's high risk. They call those high-yield bonds. Mutual funds are a bucket of money that um, can invest in all kinds of bonds, all types of stocks, other mutual funds, and exchange-traded funds. So they just hold a bucket. Same with the ETFs. The difference between mutual funds and ETFs is that with a mutual fund, you get the closing price at the end of the day. So they have a bucket of investments inside this mutual fund, stocks and whatever, and then at the end of the day, the price closes, and they say, here's the value of that at the end of the day, and that's what you're buying or selling. ETFs trade instantly. So you put an order to buy, and you hit the button, you'll get an execution price, and you'll, you'll know exactly what you get. So if the market's high at a point and low at the end of the day, you may be bought high, and it went down. So that's going to happen. Uh, Next step, Social Security. This is, uh, I kind of refer to it as social insecurity. Um, We don't know what's going to happen with it. Maybe there will be some changes now. Um, That would be very nice because oftentimes we're all paying into this, and um, you just wonder if I'm going to be getting my money back out of this later on in life. If you look at your Social Security statement, it says on the front page of it that, that Social Security is meant to replace 40% of your pre-retirement income. Now, it says that on there. Now, the limit is $118,000 that you could be taxed on. So what that means is that if you earn $118,000 or more, the taxable amount that you get taxed on for Social Security is $118,000. So if you make $400,000, you're still taxed on $118,000. So you've maxed out your Social Security amount. So when they talk about 40% of income, if you're making more than that and retire, you know, right before you retire, it's not 40% of that. It's 40% of the 118. So you can see we're already lowering things down here. Then on that statement, it also says that this trust fund is going to be exhausted in 2029, and they're projecting about a 30% cut in there. So you do the math, and you kind of figure out that my projections now, instead of 40% of, my pre- of that 118, the maximum I can get is about 25% of that. So, again, down. Um, so how do you – when I talk to clients about building for this retirement, it's, it's 
we talk about sources of income. Where do you get sources of income to replace what you're earning and you're decreasing Social Security? So you may have rental properties or, or some other types of income sources, annuities that bring in income. Um, that's key. If you look back 20 years ago, people you always ask me all the time, well, how much should I save for retirement? kind of depends. How much do you want to spend and how long are you going to live and what's your rate of return going to be? You know, there's a lot of variables that go in here. What's inflation going to be? But remember, you know, people would say, oh, I want a million dollars, right? 20 years ago, a million dollars used to get you about $80,000 of income pretty conservatively. Today, that same million dollars will get you about $15,000 of income. Can you live on 15 versus 80? It's, yeah, it'd be tough. And then when your Social Security is decreasing, that just tells you you have to have more available. Some people will get the decision to opt out, and it's a very scary thing. I have people coming to me that will say, you know, yeah, I took that opt out. What do I do now? <laughs> it's a little late. You have to build up 40 quarters, so they may force you to work longer to, to be able to qualify. Um, and it, it's the reason they give, and this is for pastors, they, they offer that. The reason that that could be good is you're not, remember that they're decreasing the amount of Social Security. Well, if you were to take that money out and say that 118 that I'd be taxed on Social Security and it's not going to the government, which I don't trust, maybe I can put it into something else. Will you really do that or will you take your additional amount on your paycheck and budget that into your everyday expenses? That's what most people do. Do you follow? Okay. Okay. Wealth protection and insurance. This is... Um, Oftentimes, I, I can go through putting together people's numbers and talk about their investments and look at all of that stuff, and then we get down to this piece and say, have you protected what you have? This, this slide and the next slide are two are the, are the most critical ones that people get caught short on. Varieties of, of different types of, of insurance, and everybody has insurance of some kind, automobile, possibly life insurance, any of these things, right? Which... If you have an automobile and policy, which is crazy that you have to have um, uninsured motorist coverage when everybody's supposed to have it, right? And if you get hit by somebody that doesn't have insurance, then you're paying insurance to cover the person that doesn't have insurance. So I hate that feature, but you have to have it. So your un uninsured motorist coverage covers you to a certain limit, okay? And oftentimes it's not what you think. So I just redid my policy, and I'm at $250,000 of uninsured motorist coverage. If somebody were to hit me that's uninsured, and I have my coverage up to 250, what happens if I have this person that, that knocked off my legs and arms, and I I'm basically can't work ever anymore? That, is that 250 going to cover me? And medical expenses, trying to recover everything? That's probably going to get eaten up pretty fast. You guys probably would know that better than I would as far as medical stuff. Um, so that's where umbrella insurance kicks in. It's to cover over and above the policy limits that you have on, on your policy. So I would have a much higher policy coverage with my umbrella. And that also covers you on your homeowner's policy. So if somebody's walking across your lawn, which they shouldn't be on your property anyway, but if they do and they trip over your hose and they break their face, you're liable, unfortunately. So that's what those are for. So I'm not going to go any, any deeper on that. Uh, next is wealth transition in an estate plan. This is another big one where people fall short. So I'm going to spend a little bit more time here. The, again, putting all your finances in order and then making sure that these pieces cover you in the event you were to die or something were to happen medically to you. The will and the trust, all they, those are is to, the, the, the will doesn't avoid probate, the trust can um, all these do are their tools to help you say, this is where I want my assets and my money to go. Okay? But remember on your retirement accounts, IRA, Roth, 401k, those kind of things, they have their own beneficiary list on them. So you may write in, I want my brother to have my retirement account in your will. And you may leave your, your uh, retirement account blank on the beneficiary form it's not going to necessarily go to your brother. Okay? So make sure that you complete that on the beneficiary form that you have on your retirement accounts and get that. You'll have a, a primary beneficiary, and then you can have contingent beneficiaries. 
Contingent just means secondary. So if your primary, your spouse, let's say, dies, then your contingent ones would get it. And there's a lot of rules in terms of the, the level of order where that gets passed down if, if you or your siblings are gone. Uh, next is the living will. This just basically, it's a medical directive. How, do, how long do I want to be on life support um, and for what reason? Those kind of things. HIPAA authorization, this is a big one. If you have kids over 18 or you are over 18 and you, let's say you're, you're young and you have your parents that, that you know, you kind of send you off into the world and you're there, if they don't have HIPAA authorization on you or you don't have it on your kids or your spouse, you go into the doctor, let's say I get in an accident and I am in a coma. And the doctor, my wife comes in and says, hey, doc, what's going on with my husband? They can't talk to her unless they have this HIPAA authorization form. It's the same with anybody over age 18. So if you recently left home and you're, you're no longer uh, living at home with your parents and you're, you're now at age of a majority, the adult, so the, the doc can't talk to you and explain what's going on to your kids. So anybody over 18 should have this in your parents or whoever it may be, your, your loved one, to be able to have that authorization. So I have my wife and also a really close friend that's well-versed in medicine to be able to talk to that doctor just in case both of us get wiped out. Um, medical power of attorney, just you can make medical decisions for that person, whoever you have power of attorney for or has for me. Financial power of attorney, this is just financial decisions, able to write checks and take care of issues. I mentioned beneficiaries. It's key to make sure that you have that done. Password list is another idea for you to... We all have passwords for a variety of different things. And if, if we all cheat the way we all do is we have the same password for multiple things. But where do we keep all of that stuff? If we were to die or something were to happen and need to get into something, where is all that stuff kept? And we know we don't really want to write that stuff down and have it available for somebody to grab and go with it. So... Having some kind of password program, everybody's got probably a smartphone these days, and you can get a password program and load that up, all of your information in there, and have it protected with one password. And then have your trusted loved one do the same thing and put your password into their phone, and vice versa. And so now you have that. Um, and then organization, the key here is to get, get all of this stuff that you have in, in terms of your financial life organized I have created what I call this bug out book. And it has all of these documents and organization of everything, whether it's a, a will or a um, insurance papers or marriage license or birth certificates or car registrations. All this stuff is in a book. And so if something were to happen, a fire coming into my neighborhood or there's an emergency and uh, just get to the doctor. We got to go. He's in an emergency. Grab that book and you go and you got it all right there. Okay, so that's, that's a, a great way to get it. You can fit all this stuff very, very easily into this book. You don't need to have your financial statements in there every month put it in there. You just need one month in there that has highlighted the title, how it's titled in yours and your wife's name or just your name, and then the account number t highlighted. Just think about it. If, if you were to die and somebody needs to come and pick up the pieces from your life and try to say, how do we get our arms around what that person had? Is it going to be easy or is it going to be complicated? More often than not, it gets pretty complicated. So the easier you can make it, taking the stress off of them from the loss anyway, is very helpful. Um, everybody heard of Dropbox? Okay. Um, Dropbox is a great tool to have things organized in. And you can create a PDF, and you can password protect the PDF if you want. Remember to put that in your password program. But um, I have uh, all of my important papers like this in my Dropbox account shared with my entire family. So if anything were to happen, they have it on each other. They have it on me and all that stuff. So everybody has really quick, easy access on your phone. So we're rushing to the doctor's office and saying, hey, what's going on, doc? I need HIP authorization. Here it is. Okay. So there's a few ideas. Uh, anybody have any questions for me? I know we're kind of running short on time here. I, I don't even know how much time we have, but. Yeah, I, um, I know we're all interested in missions here, but mm -hmm. uh, realistically, a lot of us will, will not end up you know, out somewhere overseas on uh, the missions field. And, and so when we think about financial planning, instead of being a goer, some of us may be called to or aspire to be really intentional senders. And so um, I, have, I have 
some close friends who had decided to kind of take the values part that you talked about at the beginning and they decided their values were going to be more in line with who God created them to be instead of like things that they wanted. And then they set like a, a bar for themselves as far as the income they were going to live off. And then I, it was something like the US media income. And they, you know, they were coming out of medical schools so that had tons of debt. But they tied on top of that and then used the rest of that huge income change from residency to their career to pay off all their debt within like less than five years, mm. including their mortgage. It was crazy. And then, wow. and then the cool thing about it is that they had, once that debt was gone, they just had $100,000 you know, $100, left over or whatever. I don't even know how much it was. But, but to really devote to those values, mm. uh, like the organizations and stuff that, that kind of correlated with the God created them to be. And I, and I don't know if that's like a, a admirable, that's admirable, I think, but I don't know if it's a, like a, a good financial idea or not. They took care of some of this stuff, too, but they really decided if they weren't going to go out in the field, they were going to be an intentional sender. And I thought that was mm. really kind of a cool way to look at it, but a little bit atypical, obviously, too, and not, not quite you know in line with everything that you were talking about. So, I mean, what do you think about something like that, where they're kind of maintaining a low standard of living while they were still comfortable with it instead of having to backtrack? And then being able to just pay off that debt so quick and then have all that money ready to go for, you know, the stuff that, that they were created to do. That's awesome. Um, did everybody hear that? Okay. Um, the... And I do have clients that do that. And so one of the current benefits that just was written into law last year was that with your IRA that you have, you build that up, you can give that to charity and it doesn't become taxable income to you. So you could be building up this bucket of tax-deferred money that's never going to be taxed because it's going off to gifts. And that's, you know, if that's a value that you have and you say, I'm a sender, that, that's totally legitimate. And what's the best way to do that? You could use a variety of tools and this kind of stuff. It's also just in case, you know, what if, what if that situation changes in a person's life where they have that goal, this is what I want to do, and they get injured or life takes them out of the workforce where they can't work anymore, then at least you have that, that built-in what-if kind of scenario. Um, yeah, I think they keep like a minimum amount in their bank account. Beautiful. That's great then. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So I, I love the idea, and if um, – you know, if you're giving along the way or whatever, I, I do have a client that is that is giving a huge portion of their retirement savings away. It's just it's really neat to see and being able to bless people. So, yeah, yeah. Anybody else? Yeah. So public service loan forgiveness um, is this new program, and actually I think some of the first few people came out that were completely forgiven of their loans. The idea being that for 10 years you're working in a public service kind of industry, what's great is residency actually counts for that in most cases. Um, does mission work count for that or yeah. working abroad in a medical mission setting? Because it's technically a nonprofit organization. Yeah, you know, I don't know the answer to that question. I don't know if missions is, you know the answer to that question? Income, we just throw it at that debt. 
and then we try, we're going to try to pay it off once we finish residency. Um, but we do have it as a backup plan, just, you know, life can happen. So. That's great. Thank you. It's one of those things that my friends did the same kind of thing. They were able to do that very quickly because they, they wanted to get involved in missions too. And so it was like, just maintain where we're at, throw it all into that, add, add the debt, get it paid off, and never lose that vision of doing missions so that they're free to do that grant kind of just within a few years. So. I think it goes back to like your values. It's like some friends of ours just like really convicted us. It's like, um, what are our values? Like, how do we see money? Do we see money the way God sees money? And then, like, do we believe that the government paying off our loans falls under those values? Like, do we want to be dependent on the government to do God's work? So that's, like, another question I feel like you kind of have to, I mean, we kind of took it from, like, a practical perspective, but then we have other people that kind of took it, um, just they felt convicted that the Lord didn't want them to depend on the government to pay off their loans. Mm. So that's like another way that you can kind of process through that as well. That's awesome. Good. Anybody else? Yeah. Whole life for years yeah. that the market's down. <coughs> Whole life insurance for years that the market's down, okay. By the policy, been in X amount, drawing it out in years that the market's down. Mm. Something good, bad. Yeah, it, you know, it kind of depends on the type of policy you have. He's talking about whole life insurance and, and what do you do when market's down and using some of that money. Um, whole life is, is the idea behind that type of – it's whole life versus term insurance. You have – a term insurance means there's a period of time that you have this insurance for. Whole life means it goes forever. But you can pay for a certain period of time on that, that whole life, and then what you built up in cash basically covers you. So how that works is – you pay a monthly premium for term insurance, and you pay a lower amount, and you're, in, you're covered for this insurance the whole way, okay, for the same dollar amount. With whole life insurance, it's your, your insurance coverage is here. It's usually lower, but a much higher premium, and you're building up the savings account. So eventually, they're going to meet, and your savings is going to build up to about what you have your insurance coverage for. So you're basically building up your savings at, and having a little bit of coverage there in the meantime. So using some of that whole life insurance to cover some of that in, in times of market down, it, it's not built for that. So you could find yourself in a shortfall. Best thing to do is go to your insurance guy and, and say, run me projections based on me doing any kind of draws on this thing and to see where it's going to end up. Because you just get to a point where it's like, oh, gosh, you know, there's nothing left and it, some people will say, I'll get to a certain period in life, let's say age 65, I get there, and my whole life has enough built-up cash in there. Now it continues paying premiums without me having to add any more to it, and then it keeps that insurance going at that same level. If you run out of that cash and the premiums, then your policy can lapse and you lose coverage. So that's what I would be careful with. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. Let me see if I can reiterate here. Um, so you're trying to figure out a way to self-fund by building up, building a plan, basically, to allow you to, at some point, be able to self-fund your own thing. Well, so you're not a burden on your church, not a burden on... I know a lot of issues here, but maybe this sabbatical is not really sabbatical, but back to funding. It's really not restful for them at all. Now that yeah. the missionary life, and they have to come back to the church, 
Yeah, and there there isn't a, a, a quick fix to that kind of issue um, because you have to have money coming in to build something to allow you to go to live off of that something. Now you can get products that are out there that can you can buy into that pay you an income stream, so you can basically be self-funded by an annuity, for example. Um, but it takes money to dump into there, and how much do you dump in to get to you where you want to go? So an example is um, if you put money into, like, let's say so much money into this annuity for a a long period of time and you keep building this bucket and then someday you decide I'm going to turn on that income when I get to this age or this time frame and then you can say that is my income that I need to live off of. You can run projections and you can say how much do I need to be putting away to get there and allow that. So that's... That's the type of planning that I would look at if a missionary came to me and, and asked me those questions. Say, okay, well, where do you want to be? How much do you need to live on at that point? Because if you say, today, I'd like to be self-funded, there needs to be a flow of something coming in to allow you to do that. So how do you do it? Well, if it's when you're living off of that income, you want to know what's coming. So other vehicles that are out there are kind of rolling the dice. You can put it in a savings account, but that's not going to earn you much of anything. So at least with an, with an annuity or, you know, you could even have a rental property and you could have that as an income stream, something like that. If you don't have a renter and you're overseas and you have to deal with issues, that's trouble. I think an annuity is, a, is the kind of the easy fix for something like that. But um, again, it kind of, you know, I would say let's run the projections and kind of put that out there and say, what do you want to get to? And then when we know what that number may look like to provide that monthly income, then we can say, what is it that we need to do? Remember, the annuity also, money comes out of that at a certain stream. It's not just, oh, whatever I need, I can live off. If my expenses are up one month, you're kind of up a creek because you, you really are stuck with that steady stream of flow. You know, a lot of people, um, and it's kind of related to that question, in your, in your excitement to go, you know, you'll sell everything and get rid of everything and find work permission to full-time for a while and then now part-time. And they found that the average missionary lasted like seven years because they burned up all of the, everything, sold their house, their cars, and they raised support, but after seven years they start getting into debt. So mm-hmm. we had a, a guy come with our mission, because the mission agency itself was in debt, and this, they brought a finance guy to help. And he really, um, he had the attitude of doing all this stuff that you're saying, even though we're in the mission field. A lot of us felt like, we're in the ministry, I don't need to do that stuff. I'm depending on faith. And, um, you know, like I opted out of Social Security for a while and they got back in. But he, um, like, he was in the ministry for probably 40 years, worked in Africa, so he kept his home, rented it. He got rental property and helped people to manage that so that he had income streams. You know, he was planning his finances even though he was in the ministry. He wasn't like, mm-hmm. I'm just going to live by faith and forget all that. And so... You know, we have to, a lot of people just sell everything and then go, and then when they get to be 60 or 70 and they have to move back home, they, they've got basically nothing. So, you know, I would encourage people, you're living by faith and you need to mm. raise support and it's going to get people that, that play a part in your ministry and they will want to do that. But all these things that you're saying to do, you really need to do them even, even if you're in the ministry. Because you can't depend on anybody particular to take care of you. you know. and, and I 
and we often felt, when I know when we were raising finances, people said, how much do you need to do this per month? You know, what kind of job do you get where they say, how much do you need, you know? Mm. They, you know, and so we should realize that as ministers, we should raise what we can and, you know, financially plan out our life because um, if, if we don't, like with us, we got in so much debt that we, we had to do that. And so, you know, you, you just need to be doing all this. I don't know how to, how to say it in a more how would you suggest people answering that question of how much do you need? See, that it was a ridiculous question because as a physician, I was making like 75000 a year back at that point. And we determined we needed 25000 a year. And that's what we raised. And we lived on that and did ministry off of that and went into debt off of that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people just had the attitude, you're in the ministry, how much do you need? Whereas if you went to work for... Kaiser Foundation Medical Center, they're not going to say, how much do you need to live? They're, they're going to pay you for what you're doing. Mm. And so, you know, that's between us and God, but, you know, we we shouldn't have the attitude, I'm just going to get, we're so excited to go that we just get barely enough, and we often undershoot mm. and end up with not enough. And... When George, George Myers, would tell us about all this, he'd ah, you know, I don't need to do all that stuff. But now I'm realizing you do need to do it. What I would say in that is that when you're raising your support, it's not just for current expenses, but budget in your retirement. You know, so get, get that 5500 for the Roth at least. And uh, if you can, there, there you go. So, um, yeah, that's, that's great, Mark. Thanks. Yeah. I think we're about close on time here, unless anybody has anything specific to jump into. Good. Thank you guys for your patience in getting things started today. Yeah.